The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to continue our study this morning on the church. Matthew chapter 16. I'll begin reading at verse 13. You read along silently with me. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us as we... Uh, hear the word today, and that you would instruct us. Thank you for all that are here. Bless this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I had stated a couple of weeks ago when I began um, this, this series on the church, we see here in Matthew chapter 16 that this is the very first time that the word church was ever used in the Bible. There was, there was no church prior to the ministry of Christ. And the church age began with Jesus and continues on this day. There are, there are 79 passages of Scripture that contain the word church, and all of them are in the New Testament. This, of course, indicates to us that the church age began with the ministry of Jesus. The very first church was comprised of the twelve disciples, and Jesus himself. So the church began with Christ. And it is clearly evident from the word of God, from scripture, that God desires to do his work through the local church, the body of believers. Uh, he purposes, his purpose for us is not simply that we gather together two or three times a week. So church consists of, of more than just the, the meetings, just the more, just more than just the assembly of, of believers. Uh, I hear people say all the time, oh, i got to go to church. Well, that's okay as long as we understand what church is. But unfortunately, most people don't. His purpose is not simply that we gather. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be united into one body. He wants us to work together in harmony to enhance and advance life. 
He wants the church to be our life. Uh, I've, been, I've been in the ministry now for 36, going on 37 years. And I've, I've seen a lot of people who add, upon being saved, they add church to their life. They begin attending services and, and they, they start going to church and, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But what, what, what they do is they add church to their life. So church doesn't dominate their life. It doesn't become the main focus of their life. It's just another aspect of life, like water skiing or snow skiing or, or, or you know, going to Disneyland or something like that. Uh, church is just added to the many aspects of one's life. But that is not, that is not God's desire. God's desire is that the church be our life. You see, for a believer, everything begins with God. And things go out from there. So in the believer's life, here's what it is. Here we have God, and we add to that work. But work should never conflict with God. Or we'll add to that school. But school should never conflict with God. Or we'll add to that uh, vacationing or, or anything else we want to add. But what it, what we make sure that anything we add to our life does not conflict with God, which is the center. So the church is important. Now, if we don't grasp what I just said, if we fail to grasp this truth, then the church will never be anything more than just a place where we, we get together and, and, and sing a few songs and listen to some preaching. If we don't grasp the truth that our life is centered in Christ and, and Christ alone, church loses its value. We will develop the attitude that one church is as good as another. And before too long, we will begin to believe that one doctrine is as good as another. So it doesn't matter what this group over here believes, if it's different from this group over here, or different from this group over here, or different from this group over here, because after all, we're all serving God, right? Wrong. Wrong. We're not, we're not all serving God. I don't, I don't, listen to me, I do not serve the God of the Roman Catholic Church. I'm going to make that clear to you right now. I do not serve the Pope. And I do not serve Mary. And I do not serve Joseph. I do not serve the God of the Mormon Church. I do not serve the God of the Jehovah Witness Church. So no, wrong. We are not all serving the same God. And, and if we don't understand God is centered in our life and the importance of the church, then one value system becomes just as good as the next. And it doesn't matter if we have the right one or the wrong one. It makes no difference. After all, they say all roads lead to God. Is that true? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's only one road to God. And it goes through Jesus Christ. Now, think about the human body for a moment. Your body this morning is not just simply a gathering of cells. Now, that's what evolutionists want you to think. They want you to think, 
a bunch of cells assembled together, and poof, out popped the human being. That's what they want you to believe. But that's, that's not, our body is not simply a gathering of cells. Now certainly, our body does consist of billions of cells, and some bodies consist of more billions than other bodies consist of. But our bodies consist of billions of individual cells. But it is not simply the assembling of these cells that make it a body. It is the unique bonding of these cells that comprise a singular unit, the human body. No cell in our body works independently of every other cell. The complexity of the human body is fathomless to the human mind. One cell gone awry can endanger the entire body. When one part of your body hurts, the whole body groans together. The older I get, the more truth there is to that statement. Every part of me hurts when just one part of me hurts. And that is because our body is a uniquely bonded assembly. I mean, there are times when even my hair hurts. That's, that's why for a while I was cutting all my hair off and say, hey, one less pain, you know, in many ways. And the pain, the pain draws the entire, the attention, the attention of the whole body, of the entire body. You know, when you stub your toe, how, how much of your body pays attention to your toe when you stub it? You ever stub your toe in the middle of the night? Huh? How, how, how much of your body pays attention to that toe? Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Even your tongue. The pain affects my ability to do the things I need to do. You know, when, you, when you're sick, you just simply can't do all the things you need to do, can you? What do you do when you're, when you're sick? You pick up the phone, you call your boss, and you make yourself sound as sick as possible and call in sick because you can't function when you're sick. You're forced to stop and try to take care of whatever problem exists. Now, it wasn't that way when we were younger. When I was young, I, could, I, could, I would get a cold, and I was better in two or three days. But now I get a cold, and, I, and I'm headed for the hospital. So it progresses with time. Now, think about all of this I just said about the body, how complex it is and, and how, how, how it, it, it's bond together so uniquely. Now let's consider for a moment the assembly of the church. While a body works in complete harmony, an assembly rarely fares as well. Science would tell us that if you place different cells together, they would often attack one another. And we have seen this over, the history, over history with organ transplants. More often than not, the body rejects the donated organs. And this is because the cells do not bond. Instead, they fight one another, they attack one another, they resist one another. Perhaps this is why God in his wisdom does not simply use the gathering together of people to form the church. If that was true, every time the 49ers have a football game, that's a church service. Right? Every time time an entertainment group, every time there's a movie run and everybody goes over there, that's a church service. Uh, Or or every time... uh, something takes place and people gather together and assemble, that would constitute a church service. But those things don't constitute a church service because that's not what God intended. He, it's not simply gathering together people to form the church. 
Rather, he divinely acts upon each of us. Changing us. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creature, a new creation. He changes us. In a, in a manner of speaking, he, he gives us the DNA of Christ. So that we can bond together. And so that we won't resist one another. And so that we won't attack one another. But we, sharing the same nature, the nature of Christ, are bound together. So given all that I've just said, we can see that the church is not just an assembly. We are a part of each other. We are a gathering together of those who, who love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a body, fitly formed together by God himself, and designed with a purpose, and given a task. And we must cooperate and work together to further that task. We are a living body, one that has purpose. So, let's take a look at this mysterious body for a few moments. I want to begin today by, talking, by giving us some things that this church means to God. Let's begin there. What does our church mean to God? Well, number one on your study sheets is this. The church is the object of God's affections. The church is the object of God's affections. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read this. Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. A little further down in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, he says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. So we see here that God loves the church. Jesus loves the church, and he gave himself for the church. The church is the object of God's affections. First, we, we see that Christ's love for the church is pure. In verse 26, we, he said, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, the words sanctify, cleanse, and washing are terms associated with the purification process of the temple worship. They indicate purity. Christ's love for the church is a pure love. It's not one with ulterior motives. Christ doesn't love the church for his own personal gain. He loves the church in a pure and holy sense. Now let me ask you, if Christ loves the church... Should we also? We should love the church. Now, I love my wife. But 
I love all of her. Okay? I don't, I don't just love her feet. Matter of fact, I don't like her feet. And remember, I've, I've taught many times, you can love something and not like it. Okay? So, I'm not a foot guy. I, I'm not big on feet. Feet are dug, dirty and usually they're ugly. and They're not the cleanest things in the world. My grandsons come lay on the couch and put their feet on me and say, Papa, rub my feet. And I go, no, thank you. Put socks on and I'll rub them. I love my wife, but I don't just love part of her. I love all of her. And listen, let me tell you something. If you want to say you love the church, then you've got to love it all. You've got to love it all. You've got to love the preaching. You've got to love the teaching. You've got to love the singing. You've got to love the giving. You've got to love the people. You've got to love the people. I don't know what's taking place in my body right now. But I hope it's all getting along well and doing all the things it's supposed to be doing. Because that is necessary if I am going to be healthy. And if I'm going to continue to live. That's why when something hurts inside of us, what do we do? We run to the doctor, don't we? We go, doctor, something's wrong. And, and he runs us through a battery of tests that cost us a fortune and comes back and says, hmm, I don't know what's wrong with you. Well, I, I, I don't know either, but I could have saved a lot of money if you'd have just told me that at the beginning. So, we, we have a concern. The, the Lord said in there, no man hateth his own flesh. We, we, we ha- we're concerned about our, our health and and Christ's love for the church is a pure love. And we are to love each other. We are to love everything about the church in a pure sense. We, we shouldn't come to church to see what the church can do for us. It's like the famous, uh, um, what's his name, uh, president? Oh, now his name popped out my head. There's lots of room up there. I don't know how things. Kennedy, thank you. Now stop getting in my preaching. It's like President Kennedy. President Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He was preaching good citizenship. And if you want your country to be great, then you love your country and, 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 and take care of it. And if you want your church to be great, then love your church and serve in it and love one another and help one another and promote everything about the church. So, so first, uh, we see that Christ's love for the church is pure. Second, we see that Christ's love for the church is purposeful. It's purposeful. In verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. There's a purpose. Christ has a purpose in the church. He has, he has a purpose for us. A job for us. And that's why we must love it purely. And that's why we must love one another. And that's why we must labor and serve cooperatively together. Because this church has a purpose. And we must fulfill that purpose. And we cannot do that if we, are, if we have schisms within our church. Just like the body can't function if there are schisms within the body. The church can't function unless we are in harmony and unity together. And then thirdly, we see that Christ's love for the church is personal. Personal. In verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. You see that? The Lord nourishes the church. And, 
and, and he cherishes the church. And today we must realize that the church is not just some gathering of individuals, it is the miraculous work of an omnipotent God, changing each member of the body to be in harmony with every other member of the body. And this is all done because God loves the church, because it is the body of Christ, his beloved son. And if the church is the object of God's affection, and it is, then it should be the object of my affections also. Not just the physical building or the concept of the church, rather the literal church, the body of believers. We should love the church. We must love one another as ourselves, and we must work together in harmony, helping those members of the body in need of, a need of help, and thus fulfill God's will for the church. So first today, I want us to understand that the church is the object of God's affections. But then secondly, I want us to understand that it is the beneficiary of God's grace. It is the beneficiary of God's grace. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1, we read Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is the beneficiary of God's grace. Now, we all understand what a beneficiary is, right? A beneficiary is what? An inheritor. A beneficiary is someone that inherits from another or benefits from another. And the church is the inheritor of the grace of God. Do you understand today that God's grace is not given to all men? We understand that, right? That grace is, is particular and given only to God's children? Now, there are, there are some graces. Jesus said... Um, for he maketh it to rain on the just and the unjust. And the earth gives forth food plenteously. And all the, all the things that, that we have in, in what people call nature are the, are the benefits of God. They're the grace of God upon man. But those are, those are just general graces. But the particular graces... Are, are unique and peculiar to the church. The church is the benefactor of the grace of God. Grace is understood to mean the unmerited love and favor of God. Then the question becomes, is the church alone the recipient of God's grace? How many of you would say that in this particular grace, the church alone is the recipient of God's grace? Raise your hand. How many of you would say yes? How many of you would say no? How many of you would say, I have no idea? The answer is yes. The church alone is the recipient 
of the peculiar and particular graces of God given to his children. Grace, in the context we're discussing, is the means whereby one is redeemed unto God. And we know that all men are not saved. Therefore, God's grace and salvation is not available to all men. Grace is given to those who are saved and are baptized into the one true church, into the living body of Christ. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And of course, we understand that this verse is referring to the elect children of God, that not one of God's children will be lost, not one of God's children will fail to receive the grace of God, but that God will redeem all that he has chosen to redeem. This, this 2 Peter 3.9 is not intended to extend an open invitation for all mankind to make a choice for God or not. If this were true, it would, in fact, deny the sovereignty of God in the administration of grace. It would, in fact, make the will of God subservient to the will of man. For if God is willing that all men should be redeemed, and a man chooses not to be redeemed, then therefore we must assume that man's will supersedes God's will. And this is not true. Besides all this, if God is indeed sovereign, his will must be obeyed. So if God is not willing that any should perish, then all men should be saved. All men should choose to be saved, but we know this is not true. Now, there's no way to deny this without denying the authority of God. It makes man a God unto himself, giving him, man, the ultimate power to choose for himself, knowing good and evil. Uh, where did we hear that before? Anybody know? The Garden of Eden. Satan told Eve. Ephesians. Let's turn to it. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4 and 5. We're going to read them. See, the devil doesn't change his tactics. He just, he may, he may frost them with a different frosting, but it's the same cake batter. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Isn't it interesting that the philosophies of the Arminians today are exactly the same as the philosophies of Satan himself in the Garden of Eden? Satan told Eve that her will, her choice, was the only one that counted. He told her that she was capable of determining right from wrong, good from evil, and that she did not need God for that. And the Arminian preacher will say that God has done all he can do for you. He will imply, uh, though not directly state, that all God can do now is sit back and wait for you to make your decision. He will imply that your salvation rests in your own hands, not in the finished work of Christ on the cross. After all, Christ only died to make it possible for men to be saved. Since they deny the action, the election of believers, the logical end of their beliefs can only offer a Christ who died without any guarantee that even one man would be saved. To state that Christ's death on the cross was to guarantee my salvation and then deny that my salvation was a predestinated fact since I was born 1,924 years after his death 
is utter nonsense. The church is the assembly of the elect of God. It is the beneficiary of God's grace. And as you sit here this morning, and as I stand here this morning, why do we want to argue about receiving the grace of God as our benefit? What are we, what are we fighting for today? What are churches fighting for when they deny the, the sovereignty of God? What are they fighting for? Their own, their own right? Their own, their own privilege? Isn't God the, the main thing? Isn't God what's important? We've, we argue and fight to, to uh, support the sovereignty of God, not, not to deny it. So let's, let's get our thoughts right. Let's get our, our heart right. So today we see that the church is the object of God's affections. It is the beneficiary of God's grace. And I'll finish this morning with this. Now, don't get too excited. We've still got ten minutes. It is the oracle of God's word. The church is the oracle of God's word. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The word of God, Jesus Christ. The church is the oracle of God's word. From this passage of scripture, we can see that Christ is the voice of God in the church age. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye sh- Jesus said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, the last words Christ spoke to his disciples before ascending to the Father was that they were to be a witness unto him. The power and authority to preach has been placed in the church. Did you hear that? The power to preach and the authority to preach rests with the church. The church is the oracle. It's the voice of God. Not with the Pope. Not with uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. (laughs) Not with Jehovah's Witnesses. And let me say this. Not even with the Baptist. Because I'm Baptist. From the crown of my head to the sole of my foot, I'm Baptist. Someone said once, what would you be if you weren't Baptist? I said, well, I'd be ashamed. I'm Baptist. But the voice of God doesn't rest with the Baptists because there are a lot of Baptists that are wrong. The voice of God rests in the church, the body of Christ, the living body of Christ. The church, however, um, is not the voice of God as some religions may boast. There are no more apostles or prophets. We have the canon of scripture and it is finished. We are to preach, thus saith 
the Lord. So while the church is the voice of God, it's only the voice of God so long as it is adherent to the word of God. Because the word of God is truth and the word of God is the voice of God. So yes, the church, <clears throat> the church is the voice of God as long as the church is preaching the word of God. So we have to remember that also. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Some men have said to me over the years, we need to hear from God today. We need to hear from heaven today. What about the Bible? Isn't that enough for you? You need to hear from God today? Open your Bible and read it. You need to hear from heaven today? Open your Bible and read it. Study it. Memorize it. Preach it. Live it. You know this book is very unique. Because in the, in the, in the child of God, listen to me and I'll finish up. I can't see what time it is, so somebody raise your hand when it's 10 till. In the, in the heart and mind of the child of God, this book lives. Now, in an unregenerate man, he'll open this book and he may be inspired by some of what he reads, but it doesn't have a big impact. But to the child of God, this book is alive. When we begin to read it, the Holy Spirit within us opens our mind to it, opens our heart to it, it speaks to us. I hear from God, not with an audible voice, but through his word. I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Would you please show me? And then I'll start studying scripture. And God opens my eyes to something and I see it. And he answers my prayers through his word. The word of God is the voice of God. But the church is the oracle of God's word. You see, we preach what we know through the instruction of the Holy Spirit from the foundation of the word of God. We speak that which we have come to know and trust, God's word. So I hope this morning, as I begin discussing uh, th this section of our study, I hope I I've given you a little bit of a glimpse about what the church means to God. Because I'll never appreciate the church in my life as I need, I should, unless I first understand what the church means to God. So let's go forth from here today. And listen, what I gave you today is just simply, uh, it's just simply uh, like, like an appetizer. You need to go home and you need, to, you need to dig into these scriptures. And you need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how much God loves the church. And how much you need to love the church as well. Alright folks, that's it. Thank you. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.